Do you have a life verse? Well, if you don't, you can borrow mine because I borrowed it from the prophet Jeremiah. Lamentations 3, 21 through 22. It's been an AM headlifter, a comfort in loss, a cheerleader in great discouragement, and a compass for my thoughts when I specifically needed to focus on God's character and dwell in his hope. And I remember this verse with a song. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Finish it with me. Great is your faithfulness. Now, I was not asked to sing, ladies. Aren't you glad about that? <laughs> but I was asked to share on the topic reality and hope. And there is no greater way for us to gear up for an eventful day of mommy reality than to start it with gratitude to the giver of hope. Our immutable, omniscient, omnipotent God woke you up this morning for not any ordinary day, but his day to refocus your thoughts, make you holy, empower you with the Holy Spirit, and give you hope. This means that your baby, your toddler, the love of your life will be the very tool that God uses today to draw you to himself and even expose sin. Isn't it a comfort, ladies, to know that there is no expiration date on our Savior's love? He is kind, he is compassionate, and he forgives us when we mess up. He knows our story from beginning to end, and he has given us life this very day to bring him glory. And though we may rise to difficult challenges and even suffering, we will endure by the power of the Holy Spirit as we put our confidence in his daily grace, his more than enough provisions, because his mercies never come to an end. Well, what a privilege it is for me to be here at your gathering today. As a mother and grandmother, like you heard, four grandsons and four granddaughters, I know how busy you all are and how difficult and time-consuming your day-to-day -day realities are. Kudos to your bravery this morning for sneaking out of the house. <laughs> what a blessing for you to be surrounded by a table of encouragers who are rooting for you mommies to succeed. Mentors that want you to have realistic expectations and are praying for you to live obediently to Jesus Christ. Life can get so out of balance, ladies, when we forget to include him at the start of our day, when we don't thank him for his mercy, when we don't ask for help and wisdom, and we don't meditate on the very scriptures that set us up for success. It's like me going through my day with smudges and dirt on my glasses. I can't see. I'll probably trip and most assuredly read situations unclearly or improperly. No, we need the word. I need the word. The correct lens for evaluating the circumstances in my life thoughtfully and then prayerfully to respond biblically to them throughout the day with the help of the Holy Spirit. I can almost predict that your day as young mommies will include instruction, discipline, 
tantrums, discipline. Boo-boos, spills, messes, discipline. Laundry, and perhaps even a sourdough loaf that won't rise. I can also predict that pain, suffering, disease, rejection, and even death will impact your life or the lives of those you know and love because we are living in a world tainted by sin. Even though we know this, its arrival is always uninvited and will shock us by the sting of it. Your AM commitment to pray, to memorize the word, will help you when you find yourself saying, why is this happening, Lord? What have I done to deserve this? Why aren't you taking this from me? No doubt my friend Don was thinking about some of my challenges, my reality, when she asked me to share. She knows I've been praying for the salvation of my husband for 36 years. She knows I've struggled and worked hard at cultivating marital closeness without oneness and like-mindedness towards spiritual things. She knows my two precious daughters, their wonderful husbands, and my grand eight live and serve the Lord all the way in Texas. And that song, I Left My Heart in Texas, is never far from my lips or this grandmother's desire to live near them. She knows I've had physical issues that have required lengthy rehab. She knows I'm presently grieving the loss of my mother, my prayer warrior, and dearest friend. It will be a year in February. She knows the last few years of my life have been such a blessing but also sacrificial requiring lengthy commutes to and from Los Angeles to serve and care for my parents. Unmet expectations, unanswered prayers, and difficult realities are the very tools that God has used in my life to grow my theology. I've seen his faithfulness, his grace, and forgiveness when I've wallowed in disappointment and discouragement. And I'm ever so thankful he has kept me on a close leash and given me hope through his precious promises. Age has definitely given me wrinkles, and I've certainly lived long enough to see some aha moments. Oh, that's what God was doing. But I'm still waiting, still praying, still striving, still abiding in faith, knowing he is still at work in those unresolved trials. You may know some mommies right now, or you yourself, maybe facing circumstances like mine or other trials that have been debilitating and caused you great heartache. In a crowd this size, there may be someone who's experienced a loss of income, struggling to get pregnant, dealing with health issues that make it difficult to do your job as a wife and a mother, caring for a sick child, or learning to live with one that has a disability. You may be in a situation with family that are hostile to Christ, or perhaps your husband isn't leading well and you're not like-minded in the way you're disciplining your children. Whatever burden you've carried into this room today, it is my prayer that the verses shared will launch you into a deeper study of hope. I've listed all the verses I read today in your notes. So just sit back, listen 
and allow the Lord to encourage you with his word. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you with thanks for your great mercy that has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. Help me today to speak words that bring you glory. We ask that your Holy Spirit would comfort those that are in the midst of discouraging and difficult circumstances, and that through the study of your word today, we might all be better equipped to live life's realities with hope. Amen. What does God say about reality and hope? Reality is defined by Webster as what is real. Your reality is what you are exactly this moment seeing and experiencing. Reality is sometimes euphoric and exhilarating, often monotonous, but it's always temporal because our circumstances and challenges and trials, while some may last a little longer, keep coming, keep challenging, changing from day to day. Reality can be hard. Let's face it, motherhood may not be what you expected. After all, those parenting manuals and social media influencers do not have your baby, right? <laughs> and no matter how many people tell you how great you look, you know how you feel and you know how your body has changed. Reality is subjective. Two people might have the same set of circumstances but see the situation very differently. Perhaps you've been around those perky, positive people type. You know those people that look at the glass as half full rather than half empty. They are typically optimistic. They project a more hopeful view and don't choose to acknowledge your pity party. Praise the Lord for these people, right? <laughs> Though you both might perceive the same circumstances differently, keep in mind that it is only your response that matters to God. Hope, as defined by Webster, is a feeling of trust or a feeling of expectation, much like your children have on Christmas Day. They look forward to seeing their gifts because surely mommy and daddy have given them everything on their wish list. I'll never forget the year I got a globe. <laughs> that was truly the end of all hope forevermore <laughs> in Santa. The biblical concept of hope goes beyond wishful thinking or optimism. It doesn't rest in what we want, how we think or feel about the situation, but with what God says is true in Scripture. And he says this, ladies. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope comes from faith. The word hope in Greek translated confident expectation. God wants us to live with excited anticipation of all he has promised from the moment of salvation. He gives us the hope of eternal life, the hope of his presence, the hope of his protection, the hope of his return, the hope of answered prayer, the hope of inheritance, and the hope of a heaven, our ultimate destination when we will see Christ face to face and our present sufferings will be no more. God doesn't want us to just look optimistically at our reality, no. I think positive thoughts, you know. Rather, he wants us to wake up and look expectantly for God to work and act 
through the circumstances in life he has given us, even when the trials are difficult. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will fill us with all joy, all peace, independent of how we think and feel because of who we know. Psalms 146, 3 through 9. Do not trust in princes and mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts and his ideas will perish. How blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous, protects the stranger. The Lord supports the fatherless and the widows. He thwarts the plans of the wicked. Psalms 33, 16 through 22. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according to how we put our hope in you. These verses remind us there are only two choices of living your reality with a biblical hope. You can look to created things to satisfy the longings of your heart, or you can look to the creator God. You can look side to side at everything that overwhelms you, or you can look vertically to the God of hope. When my daughters were small, a favorite activity of theirs when daddy came home from work was to wait expectantly at the door and jump in his arms as soon as he opened it. They then proceeded to straddle his feet, grab onto his legs, and hold on with all their might as my husband walked through the house with human shoes. The human shoe monster moved through each room of the house until he reached the beanbag chair and shook them vigorously, violently, <laughs> into it. The girls giggled in laughter and squealed over and over again, again, daddy, again, daddy. It's this picture that comes to mind when I think of how God wants us to cling to him to experience our greatest joy. Abba, Father, Daddy wants us to run to him, trust him, embrace your reality, knowing Hebrews 6.19. The hope we have through salvation is the anchor of the soul, keeping the believer secure during times of trouble and turmoil. A biblical hope perspective says there isn't a single situation in my life that cannot be addressed by the God of hope and his promises in scriptures. You need to memorize these verses. Deuteronomy 31, 18. The Lord himself is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Psalms 84, 11, No good thing does he withhold from those that walk uprightly. A biblical hope perspective also knows there isn't a single situation we encounter 
that doesn't require us to use wisdom and thoughtful assessment. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. All day long, as wives and mother, we're making decisions, responding to conflict, and discerning how to teach moral principles. We need to have on the tip of our tongues the hungry rabbit picked lettuce and green radishes. Okay, that's, that's my mnemonic for Philippians 4, 8. Whatever is true, the, whatever is honorable, hungry, whatever is right, rabbit, you get the idea. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Romans 15.4 clearly says that the Old Testament, New Testament was written for our instruction and that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. Hope. Right here. Our best friends should be those that are not only perky, positive, and optimistic, but genuinely care for our souls. Choose friends that remind you of truth and give you scripture to think on. Readily accept their offer to pray with you. Perhaps they will challenge your perspective and even identify simple responses that you need to deal with. I recently read Lisa Hughes' book, Unmet Expectations, uh, Reshaping Your Thinking in Disappointments and Trials, a book I highly recommend. Reading it was like sitting down with my mom with a cup of tea and a box of tissues. She agreed that my married life was different from my expectations, but she pulled no punches in identifying my woes as discontentment with God's plan. She did not say, Dory, it sounds as if you are complaining or grumbling. She said, Dory, don't be like Eve. Don't be like Sarah. Sounds like the Israelites are camping out in your house, Dory. <laughs> Remember Solomon's story of the two mothers? Well, it was a brilliant tactic of hers to get me in the word. I had no choice but to look the stories up. And through the word, God showed me I was in good company with other rebellious grumblers and complainers that weren't responding well to their reality. Perhaps it would be helpful for you as well to start there if you aren't experiencing hope and its fruit of joy and peace in the midst of your difficult circumstances. Don't be like Eve. Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Her perfect body, her perfect home, her perfect husband, her perfect life, and her perfect relationship with God wasn't enough. <laughs> she wanted more. Satan challenged God's authority, made her question what God commanded. The fact is the tree was a delight to her eyes and the desire to make her wise was enough to eat of it and share it with her husband. James 1, 14 to 15 says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Eve's response to her circumstances was rebellion. Rebellion says, this is what God has given me, but I don't like it. Don't be like Sarah, Abraham's wife, Genesis chapter 15 through 18. 
and 21. She grew impatient with God's timing in her life. God promised he would make Abraham a mighty nation, but how could that be? She was barren. And even though God assured Abraham that Sarah would have a child, she was getting old. She was almost 90. Sarah took the matter in her own hands, helped God in her way, and gave her maid Hagar to bear a child in her place. And the result? All kinds of conflict and jealousy erupted between these two women. Can you imagine? Sarah complained. Complaining says, my way is better than God's way. God's timing isn't good enough. Don't be like the Israelites. Numbers chapter 11, 4 through 6. Remember the golden manna? God provided them heavenly food. Numbers verse 4 tells us that the Israelites wanted meat, fish, cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic like they used to eat in Egypt. They not only complained, but they murmured and grumbled. And when God heard it, his anger was kindled against them. They completely forgot God's miraculous miracle that saved them from Pharaoh and his army crossing the Red Sea and his daily cloud that followed them as they wandered the desert, giving them care and provision of food from heaven above. The Israelites grumbled and coveted their former life. Grumbling says, I don't have what I think I need or what I want. Covenant says, I want what they have. Remember the two mothers? As mothers yourself, you will be horrified by the grief and scene of two women who came to King Solomon to settle their dispute. One lady laid on her baby during the night and it died. So she swapped her dead baby for a newborn baby of another woman. When the woman awoke, she immediately knew it was not her son and their conflict began. They appear before King Solomon to judge their dispute, and we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 3, 23 to 27, with these words. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son who is living, and your son is the dead one. And the other one says, no, for your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. The king said, give me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose child was the living one spoke to the king, for she was deeply stirred over her son and said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king said, give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. Two mothers in a heart-wrenching conflict, an evil mother, mother with bitterness exposed. Conflict says, if only that person would give in to my desires or circumstances were different, then I would be happy. Bitterness says, if I can't have it, then no one can. When we are depressed and struggling with our situation, ladies, when we are convinced that if only our outward circumstances would change so that we could live a purposeful, successful, and joyful life, you can be sure your thinking is problematic and most likely sinful. 
During my early years as a young mommy, I was rebellious. I was complaining. I was even bitter. My unmet expectations for marriage and future ministry would be much different than what I had planned. My godly mother understood that there was nothing wrong with my yearning for a Christian marriage, but everything was wrong with my sin and failing to accept God's present reality and will for my life right now. God wanted me to confess sin and be obedient to the commands of 1 Peter 3, and he would use my accepted reality to grow and bring him glory. John MacArthur's commentary states that the loving, gracious submission of a Christian woman to her unsaved husband is the strongest evangelistic tool she has along with modesty, meekness, and respect for her husband. This truth has shown me how to live, how to pray, and it gives me hope. When pain and suffering become personal in our lives, when we find ourselves caught between God's omnipotent ability to fix our situation and the stark reality that he hasn't, we are blind to see what he's doing. We can't see what is to come. And that's when the tension between everything we think and feel, everything we know about God, and our understanding of biblical hope becomes so important. Three things God teaches us about difficult realities. Number one, God has everything to do with your difficult life circumstances. He is sovereign. This means that there is absolutely nothing that happens in the universe that is outside of God's influence and authority and control. God is above all things and before all things. He is the Alpha and the Omega, Omega the beginning and the end, Revelations 21.6. God created all things, both in heaven and earth, both visible and invisible, Colossians 1.16. God knows all things, past, present, and future. There is no limit to his knowledge, for God knows everything completely before it even happens. Romans 11.33. Nothing is too difficult for God. Jeremiah 32.17. Psalms 103.19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. God is in control and has power and authority over nature, earthly kings, history, angels, and demons. Even Satan himself has to ask God permission before he can act. Pam Hardy says in the book, Keeping Your Balance, when we are struggling with our situation, it is imperative that we remember God's sovereignty over the minuscule details of our lives. We must understand that it is not outward circumstances that can drag us down, but our own reaction to despair to them when we fail to perceive the hidden hand of God throughout all time and in all events. I love teaching history. In fact, Lauren was in one of my art history classes years ago. It's, it's an interesting thought to me that God did not choose to have us born in the 1400s with the need to forage like hunter-gatherers for survival. We were not asked to make the difficult journey for religious freedom on the Mayflower in 1620. We were not the wives of patriots fighting alongside them for the formation of a new and free nation in 1700. No, we were created for this era and this generation with this husband and with these children. And with all the present concerns and challenges of raising children in this era, which one has God not accounted for? 
Which circumstances can't he see? Which one of our expectation has slipped past his attention? Which one of our troubles has God at any disadvantage? The answer is none. He is our sovereign king. He is continually at work, even when we cannot comprehend what he's doing. My friend Johnny Erickson Tata, who has endured quadriplegia, chronic pain, two bouts of cancer, COVID, and multiple stays in the hospital for pneumonia, has shared much about with the world about suffering. She says, hurtful hardships are the severity of God's sovereignty, and so I experience pain and harm in my body. But the kindness of his sovereignty is a the good that's being accomplished in my soul, a stronger faith, a deeper wisdom, an increase of peace, a higher joy, an unwavering devotion to Christ, and the ironclad trust that comes from walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I love that. Two, God is always good in everything he does. He's always faultless in his wisdom. He judges and plans our ways perfectly. Our God works all things after the counsel of his will. He cannot make mistakes. Jerry Bridges writes in his book, Trusting God, anytime we are tempted to doubt God's love for us, we need to go back to the cross. Psalms 103.10 says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Lisa Hughes writes in her book, Think about what this means. I'm a sinner. I deserve death. Even after experiencing new life in Jesus Christ, I still sin constantly, offending my Savior. But he hasn't dealt with me as my sins deserve. He hasn't rewarded with punishment. Instead, he pardons my sin and passes over my rebellious acts. No matter how difficult, how painful, how frequent or great my trials, they are still fewer in number than the sins I have committed against the one who gave his life for me. Remembering his character and his sacrifice should bring balance to our thoughts when we're going through something we didn't expect. It should remove our sense of entitlement that we deserve something different or have somehow earned a better treatment than we are receiving. Though pain and heartache is a very real emotion, we must resist allowing that pain to lapse into untruths about God. The great truths of God's sovereignty, wisdom, and love should be stored up in here and in here and will become his divine resources when we battle doubt. Three, difficult life circumstances make us more like Jesus. Perhaps we should say in prayer, instead of why God, we should say, Lord, what will it take me to conform me to the image of Christ? James 1, 2-3 tells us, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Boy, we rattle that off. We rattle that verse off all the time. But man, when we're in a trial, do we go back to that verse? Consider it joy. 
1 Peter 5.10 assures us, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, strengthen, confirm, and ground you. With these truths cemented in our hearts that God is sovereign, good in everything he allows, and desires us to be like him, how then do we walk through difficult realities and unmet expectations with hope? Let's get through these. Number one, get into the sanctuary. In Psalm chapter 73, we find the psalmist Asaph, who had his own set of circumstances. I have to admit that when I began my study, I wondered just how bad life could possibly be for a singer and a poet. He was hired by David, for goodness sakes. He was the worship leader in the house of the Lord. In verse 1, we find Asaph saying that God is good in all he does. Verse 2, an admission that his feet came close to slipping and stumbling. It said he was envious of the arrogant and the prosperity of the wicked. He complained the wicked have no pains, they have good health, and their body is fat, they have plenty to eat. Verse 12, he says the wicked seem always at ease and live in wealth. And then verse 13, his lament turns into a big pity party. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and I washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. Asaph is struggling not with his song set for his worship team, but with the world. The wicked don't seem to be struggling as much. His expectations of living a righteous and obedient life were different. In fact, his expectations and his rewards didn't compare with what the people in the world were receiving. The wicked and the enticements of the world caused him to doubt, and he came close to stumbling. But the psalmist makes this miraculous statement in verse 17. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. What's he saying here? Asaph realizes how his embittered heart and how his complaining words would affect the faith of others. His pity party would betray the generation of your children. Wow, that's heavy. Even as we think how much our discouragement can affect our children. Don't underestimate the little eyes watching you. They can see if mommy is reacting or responding to difficult circumstances with wisdom. If they see you as a reactor, they may hear an elevated voice, a quick temper, see a rolling of the eyes, an impulsive mood, an emotional response that may seem insensitive, judgmental, or even unloving. Or they can see you as a responder, one who responds with wisdom, who takes an intentional pause to filter their reactions with a quick prayer and an assessment of truth. If we want our children to follow Jesus and live in hope, then we must model Asaph and choose to respond like him. In verse 16 and 17, he says this, when I ponder to understand this, how his words would affect God's children, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. 
When God put Asaph under his holy, perfect, and life-living word, when God made him see the sacrifices that were being made in the temple and the blood and all the death that pointed to Christ Jesus and the gospel, when God drew him near to the throne of grace, God changed Asaph's heart, gave him discernment, wisdom, and understanding. Asaph remembered that the ungodly, the very people he envied, would one day be judged. And what a heart transformation we see in verses 26 and 28. I'll read those. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But as for me, the nearness of my God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Unmet expectations gives us a reason to get to church. This isn't the time to run from, but run to instruction, where we can feed on truth. Asaph had front row access to the temple of God. He sat directly in Yahweh's presence to help him think spiritually. It's not easy for an unequally yoked woman to come to church alone, but it's right. Whether a physical sanctuary or a personal quiet time, we must enter his presence to expose ourselves to the truth. I'm sympathetic to you busy moms who have to rise early to do this. Your interruptions are frequent, but it's still on you to seize the cracks in your day, as they say on Risen Motherhood. You can't show what you don't know. Fill cracks with memorization, audio Bible, and prayer. Keep a Bible in the bathroom, in your car, Elizabeth Elliot podcast in your ear while you cook and you clean. Listen to hymns. Let the word wash over you and speak hope into your heart. To lament, bring grief and everything you don't understand to the Lord. It's okay, ladies, to plead your case to the Lord. Lamenters like Asaph, David, Job, Isaiah, Habakkuk all had times of mourning. Their grief was symbolized with ashes and sackcloth and marked the honest, anguished cries. Chris talked about being honest in our prayers on Sunday. Over a third of the Psalms are laments, long songs of sorrow. Our Savior himself was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And in his final hours in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mark 14, tells us, Jesus' soul was engulfed in grief to the point of death. A lament is different than crying and just expressing a bunch of emotion. It's a prayer of deep sorrow that looks to God for remedy. Psalms 13 is a real good example of this. David brings his complaint, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David's not rehearsing his anger, but honestly articulating his pain, his questions, his, the frustrations of his soul. A lament asks boldly for help. Verse 3 and 4, Consider me and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. Verse 5, But then David says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Prayers of lament renews our commitment to trust in God. Psalms 27, 13, and 14 is a pretty worn out verse in my Bible. 
when I needed to remember who's in charge and in control of my circumstances. It says this, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Recognize your difficulties as God's test. God is giving you an opportunity to humbly submit and respond in trust and submission. While it's very easy to lose perspective when we are in a difficult reality, we must guard against getting so caught up in the temporal that we lose sight of its eternal significance in our lives. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, Therefore we do not lose her, her heart, though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God's not just working on your behalf, but on your husbands, on your families, and everyone you're in contact with for his purposes. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 tells us that the Lord gave Paul a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to keep his heart humble. We learn that his thorn was so painful that he begged the Lord three times to remove the trial. He may have thought, if only this thorn was of uh, the flesh was removed, then I could be more effective in my ministry to people. But God answered Paul's request in this way, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. God basically said, Paul, your limitations are ultimately better for your ministry. And how did Paul respond to God's test? Set in Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul trusted God's plan for him and humbly accepted whatever God ordained for him. Four, sometimes you just need to have a biblical conversation with yourself. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Welsh preacher. If you haven't heard him, I won't try to talk like him, but you just kind of imagine it. He said this, you have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down, soul? You have to say, hope you in God, instead of muttering in a depressed, unhappy way. And then go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Biblical conversations include asking yourself, is my assessment of the situation true? Or are these my emotions going crazy? Does my thinking lean on a proper view of God and his character? Is this really true about God? Am I responding under the power of the Holy Spirit? Are my motives in keeping with an obedience to God's word? Or do I need to confess discontentment right now and deal with a sinful attitude? I guarantee if you take the time to pause and sift your hurt through this list, God will free you up to come under his grace and endure it with hope. Give thanks. 
You need to adjust your focus to what God has given you. And you need to sing. You need to thank him for your salvation, for his promises, for giving you a future and a hope. When the Christians in Colossae were struggling to survive under the reign of Nero, Paul commanded them to let the word of Christ dwell in them richly, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in their hearts to God. In the midst of difficult realities, you need to admonish yourself with truth and rejoice. Create that Spotify list that reminds you of his love, his sacrifice, his character, his gifts, and sing it boldly. We tend to turn on the music for the kids in the car, but you pick, you sing, and let them hear the worship of mommy's heart. And finally, allow your unmet expectations to become an opportunity to worship him and give testimony of his faithfulness. I started the talk with my life verse and bring it to a close with one final look at a Lamentations 3. Poor Jeremiah was trapped in a hopeless situation, a reoccurring reality that stole his happiness and joy. His suffering was relentless, dealing with rebellious Israelites, persecution, he had physical pain. Verse 4 says, He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has walled me about so I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy though I call and cry for help. He shuts out my prayer. Poor Jeremiah, we read these heart-wrenching words in verse 17. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I give up. My endurance has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. But then you got to read verses 21 to 40 when you go home because everything changes as he focuses outlook on the character of God. Jeremiah fully understood that his hope lies in who God is and that God was deserving of praise no matter what. Verse 24, he says, the Lord is my portion, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. Jeremiah didn't find comfort in his circumstances, but in the person of God. He understood that God, who was ultimately responsible for his pain and suffering, was also the supreme source of his hope. Ladies, though we live in a temporal, ever-changing reality, remember it was designed just for you by your heavenly Father. Choose to live by faith in a sovereign God who is sanctifying you through the tough stuff and getting you ready for eternity. Wait with expectant hope for his deliverance. And while you wait patiently, choose to learn more from his word. Confess sin and watch God transform if only desires to only him praises. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, to accept your reality for us, to think rightly about our circumstances and not resist your tests and opportunity to grow our faith. Help us to be humble receivers and not complainers and to put ourselves at the foot of the cross, remembering all you have forgiven and done for us. Help us, Lord, to focus on your character and to rest in your sovereignty 
knowing you promise all things work together for those who love Jesus Christ. Help us model to our children that are watching us a mom that has a living faith, one that is dependent moment by moment on the Holy Spirit to respond rightly. Help us appreciate and love the absolute perfection of your design for us in marriage, to respect and submit to our husbands, and if unsaved, to win them without a word. Create in us a heart of thanks that your perfect timing is in play and that you can be trusted. And finally, Lord, increase our hope that your glory will prevail. Amen.